0: Good morning. It's always a, always a joy to be with you. Our family always loves coming here. Um, Rob just asked me just to explain briefly what I get up to during the week. Um, so, uh, so a couple of days a week I work for a thing called 938, um, which is based on the Bible verse Matthew 938, which is uh, Jesus saying, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. He sees the need in the world and he... Wants churches to be raising up workers and us praying that those workers would go out into the harvest field. So 938 works with churches to encourage people to think about going into gospel work in that way. Um, the other thing I'm involved with uh, the rest of the time is Commission, which is the network of churches that we're part of here, the family of churches that, that Rob mentioned. And I have the particular privilege of uh, working alongside some other people with the church planters. So, in the training for people who are trying to start new churches because that's the vision of commission see lots and lots of bible teaching uh, joyful churches all over london holding out the good news of jesus uh, in all sorts of parts of london so it's a great privilege to work with about a dozen guys who are in all different parts of london working really really hard in god's strength to to plant churches that would reach the great diversity of london so that's, that's my privilege and it's my privilege now to, um, to, to look at this wonderful passage with you. So let's, let's pray for God's help because I can't do that. So let's uh, pray that, that God would do that for us. Lord God, please would you be our teacher now. Uh, Father God, please would you explode our wrong views of you. Please would you explode false thinking about you please would you show us your your goodness and your glory please would you show us your son as he truly is and by a miracle of your spirit would you help us grasp these things pray that uh, for your glory amen well God is is nothing like you imagined God is nothing like we naturally think he is I was talking to a guy in Clarkenwell this week. Um, uh, uh, he was feeding the, the pigeons and uh, we got talking and uh, we got talking. And at one point he said, you know, a number of years ago, I stopped believing in the old man in the sky. And, yeah, we had a good conversation about that. Um, but that is our default view of God. Our default human view of God is... An old man in the sky probably a slightly grumpy old man in the sky we basically just project ourselves and we think of a a bigger older but actually slightly more out of touch and actually slightly more boring petty banal view of ourselves that is our default view of god that we keep coming back to but what does it say verse 8 of chapter 55 here of isaiah for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He's saying, I'm not like you. I'm totally different to what you think in your mind. This is Trinity Sunday. In the church calendar, if you follow those kind of things, this is Trinity Sunday, which is a great Sunday to remember God is not like us. Like, who would have ever dreamt up a God who is three persons? One God in three persons. And this is in Isaiah 55 here we meet this trinitarian god who is nothing like we imagine who is not like us who is unexpected who is unexpectedly good deliciously good and stunningly glorious and overflowing with life and this is really important this is practically important because we keep defaulting back to this false view of god and That either means that we we run away from God and we don't want to have anything to do with him, or we we sort of go to the far country, or we stay with him, we kind of stay with him in his house, but we serve him in this kind of joyless, slavish way. We don't really have a relationship with him. Because we just think he's this boring old man in the sky. So let's get into this. First point, come to the feast. Come to the feast. Verse 1, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. This makes me think of um, Kingston Market, I don't know if whether uh, you, you've been to Kingston Market recently, I used to go there when I was growing up, and um, you'd have those kind of market traders who were just kind of, you know, sh- I don't know if they're allowed to shout anymore, maybe they're not allowed to shout anymore in this kind of post-COVID world. But they used to kind of shout, you know, get your fresh cod, two for five pounds, come on at ma'am, come over here, come, on, a, come and have a look, mate. They're kind of you know, calling people to come. That's kind of what's happening here. Come, come, come. But this is, this is more than a market stall. This is a feast that they're being invited to, isn't it? This is, in Isaiah chapter 25, there was this announcement that there's going to be a feast of rich food for all peoples. And here it is. Come and get it. There are waters... To quench your thirst, there is wine to gladden your heart. There is milk to strengthen and satisfy you. Verse two, there is bread to give you life. Now imagine, imagine that you're in a kind of traditional agricultural community, unmechanized, traditional agricultural community, and you don't get water out of a tap. To get clear fresh water is a rare thing. And you just work all day in the hot sun. You haven't had a drink for many, many, many hours. And then, and you don't have a fridge full of food to go back to, okay? You're having to work sweat for all your food. And then someone lays out for you this banquet of fresh clear water and fresh hot bread and ice-cold milk. And the best wine you've ever tasted. That is a feast, isn't it? Can you imagine how good that would taste? This is the invitation of the king, who has prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And he sends out his servants, the prophets, with this message, come. It's already come to the wedding banquet. And then he sends out his prophets, and then last of all, he sends out his son with this message, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink, John chapter 7. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, John chapter 6. And you remember there, Jesus says pretty much exactly verse 2 of this chapter to the crowds. You remember he's fed the the 5,000 and then these people come chasing after him and he basically says verse 2 of Isaiah 55, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy that's the irony that the alternatives to this banquet are actually very expensive addictions whatever we go to that is not the banquet of god it actually costs a lot addictions whatever they might be they cost a lot in the short term and in the long term in every way if we if we worship the gods of this age it's very expensive it's very expensive to worship the gods of of fitness or education or home improvement or career or status or our image. It's very expensive, it sucks everything out of us and it ultimately doesn't satisfy. So you end up spending a fortune on junk food and salt water that just makes you more hungry and more thirsty. But in contrast, the the feast of God is free. Did you see how that was emphasised? Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Which is totally not how we think, isn't it? We're, We're all brought up to think you get what you pay for. There's no such thing as a free lunch. But there is. There is. This is... A banquet for spiritually bankrupt people is not for people who have earned a good load of spiritual brownie points. It's not for people who've cleaned themselves up a bit. I was talking to um, a lady once who said, maybe I'll become a Christian in a bit, but I think I've got to like clean up some things in my life first. There's some things in my life I need to sort out first. That's not the right way to think. There's there's a wonderful old hymn that I love that's based on these verses of Isaiah 55, and it says this, it says, come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. Then there's another verse, come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. If you wait till you're better, you'll never come. So the invitation here is, is come. Come with nothing. Come, even if you don't feel thirsty or hungry. Even if you don't feel like you need this, come, just come. And you'll find that you do. Come to the feast. It's completely free. Then why does it say buy? Did you notice that? It's a bit weird, isn't it? It's free, buy. It says it twice, doesn't it? you notice that? Come, buy and eat come buy wine and milk as as a commentator on this passage has said there is a purchase and a price though not ours to pay there is a purchase and a price but it's not ours to pay just trying to illustrate this imagine um one of my children wants to buy a crepe from the, the the van you know there used to be a van outside there at christmas and stuff you know maybe it's down there now but you know they really want to buy a crepe from this van, but they haven't got any money Okay, so it's like, right, okay, I'll go with you. So we go to the crepe van, and they say, I'd, I'd like that crepe priest, and the lady does the, does the thing, and then it comes to paying for it, and I get out my wallets and I pay for it. That's the gospel. Come to the feast without any money, and then Jesus stands alongside you at the van, so to speak, and he pays for you. So you buy, but he pays his perfect life. He pays the punishment that he's taken, that we deserve, and we get to eat. What does that mean? What does it mean? Well, I think verse middle of verse two is really helpful on what it actually means to eat from this feast. What does it say? Middle of verse two. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. So we eat by listening. Isn't that strange? We have to turn our ears into mouths and eat the word. That's what we should be doing right now. We should be turning our ears into mouths right now and feeding on Christ in our heart by faith with thanksgiving as we hear the word. Because the feast is actually the Lord himself. You notice verse 3, give ear and come to me. This is the Lord speaking. So verse 1 had come to the feast... Now it's come to me because the Lord God himself is the feast. The feast is sitting at the table with the Father. The feast is delighting in the Son who is the bread of life. The feast is the living waters of the Holy Spirit. The feast is the Lord God. There isn't any religion like this. No other religion has this, does it? To feast on with god himself some religions have the idea of a feast in the sense of like um if you're really good then one day there'll be kind of a feast prepared for you over here but you've basically earned it but here is a god who says to the spiritually bankrupt come to this feast which is fellowship with me stop wasting your life on junk food and drinking salt water listen listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight, literally, your soul will enjoy the deliciousness in the richest affair. So come to the feast, second point, and as you do that, be brought into an everlasting love. Middle of verse 3, middle of verse 3, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Now that is seriously weird, it's doubly weird, it's weird, number one, because it says it's a covenant with you, plural. So that's a covenant with you, those people who have been called to the feast. But that covenant will be the faithful love promise to David. So what's going on there? It's a, it's a covenant with you that is the covenant with my David. That's odd. The other reason it's weird is because David, by the point that Isaiah's preaching, has been dead for hundreds of years. That's really odd, isn't it? So what's going on? Well, God is bringing people into a covenant relationship that already exists. So God has a covenant with David, and he's bringing others into that covenant relationship. And this David is not the David who died hundreds of years before. This is the second David. You know, earlier in Isaiah, there's that thing about the... the um, There'll be a, a sort of a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. Okay, now who was Jesse? Anyone tell us who Jesse was? Jesse, who's Jesse? It's the father of David, okay? He's David's dad. So the point of the, the shoot from the stump of Jesse is not just that there's going to come one who is a descendant, those are generations later, of David, but he's going to be another David. Another one from... A second, David, is going to come. Jeremiah, Ezekiel say the same thing very explicitly. David is going to come and shepherd God's people. A king is going to come with the spirit of God, in the power of God, a king who's going to be called Mighty God, and he's going to rule forever in righteousness and justice over people of all nations. Verse 4... See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. And then wonderfully, I love this bit, God turns from describing this king to speak directly to him. Do you notice that? So he said, I have made him a witness to the peoples. And then he turns and he actually, the Lord is now speaking to the Lord. Verse 5, surely you, singular, will summon nations you know not, And nations you do not know will come running to you. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord is speaking to the Lord. The Father is talking to the Son about the day when the Son will come and he will summon all the nations. He will call them. He will say, come to me all you are thirsty and I will give you drink. And then there's the guarantee, the seal on this covenant relationship. Because of the Lord your God. The holy one of Israel for he has endowed you with splendor. That's the seal. The seal on the relationship between the Lord and the Lord is the Lord God. Isn't that, a, isn't that a wonderful thing? The Lord God has endowed you with splendor. Literally he's made you beautiful. He's made you glorious. So what's going on here? The invitation is come to the feast and you'll be brought into this everlasting covenant love between the father and the son this unbreakable relationship so being a christian is not just i've got an individual relationship with god it's you are united with christ and in christ you're brought into that unbreakable incredible love of the father for the son so in that relationship that's as strong as unbreakable as the relationship between the Father and the Son. That is your relationship you now have with the Father. He loves you, if you're in Christ, as much as he loves his Son. It's an incredible thing. There's no other love like that, an everlasting love. All other loves, either you let them down, they let you down, someone dies, someone goes away, every other love but this is an everlasting covenant and a faithful love. It's got, all the, it's got all the intensity and exclusiveness of a marriage relationship at its best. The father and son is in this kind of completely exclusive, exclusive, intense love. But then also, it's a, it's a wonderfully inclusive thing because brought into the son are people from all nations. Anyone who runs to the king Jesus, and comes under his wings, is included in this amazing relationship between the Father and the Son. Is that how you think about the Christian life? It's really just another way of talking about the feast. This is why the feast is so good. It's being brought into this amazing relationship between the Father and the Son, this everlasting love. Third point, this is another way of talking about the feast. Turn to the forgiver. Thirdly, turn to the forgiver. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. There's an urgency there. Call on him now. And there's a nearness while well, he's near. God is not some distant person on a cloud somewhere a million miles away. No, he's come near. The word near there is, is, uh, has that sense of a near relative, a close relation. He's become one of us. He's made himself accessible to us. He's come near to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Verse seven, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. That's who God's calling. We, we tend to swing either between thinking that God is, is, is like us in that he's like a moralist and he really just likes hanging around with good people. He doesn't really have any time for evil people or we we tend to think that God is like a a relativist like us and he basically doesn't really mind whatever we do he kind of affirms everybody but God isn't like us he calls sinners to repentance so he calls sinners he calls the wicked he he, he calls the bad and there's no one too bad whatever you've done whatever you've done amazingly he's calling you he's calling me Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. So come as you are, come as you are, but at the same time, he won't leave you as you are. He calls sinners to repentance. He's saving us not just from the the penalty of our sin, but from sin. He saves us from the penalty of sin, but he also doesn't, doesn't want to leave us in it. He's rescuing us out of this evil age, out of the muck and the misery of sin, because he loves us. Middle of verse 7. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. You notice the freeness again? Freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. In other words, you wouldn't forgive you. You wouldn't forgive you not like this you'd either condemn you or you'd give yourself some kind of pass but the Lord God takes your sin incredibly seriously and then he totally forgives it isn't that amazing so one of the big things that we need to repent of I need to repent of this morning is just not thinking of God rightly not thinking of him like this he is not irritable and inconsistent and insipid This Lord God is blazing full strength, mercy and forgiveness. Verse 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then as if it's kind of continuing that theme of looking at the sky, the Lord continues, verse 10, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So look at the rain. It comes down pure from heaven, free. Has anyone ever paid for the rain? Have you ever paid for the rain? No, it's free, comes down free, undeserved, to the ground it goes this pure rain goes into the muck of the ground it goes into the earth and it brings life and God says in the same way my word the word that goes out from the mouth of the father that word he comes down from heaven to earth pure free undeserved into our muck and he goes down into the ground he's buried to bring life isn't that wonderful that's the gospel that's that's how sinners like me and you can be completely forgiven not because god just like yeah all right forgive him no he takes our sin incredibly seriously and he deals with it by sending his son into this world to die our death the death we deserve to go into the ground to bring us life new life that we would be this kind of flourishing new forgiven life and then the last bit tells us what that new, flourishing, forgiven life looks like. This is the fourth point. And to, to go out in everlasting joy. Go out in everlasting joy. Verse 12, you will go out in, in joy and be led forth in peace. The beginning of the chapter was all about coming in, wasn't it? Come into the feast. Now there's a going out. In the story of Isaiah, it's got that sense of uh, release from captivity. Getting out of lockdown of sin and Satan and death and darkness. So it's got that sense of coming out of captivity, but also it mirrors verse 11. See verse 11, "So is my word that goes out. And here you will go out. So as the father sends the Son, so the son sends out his people, led by the spirit. There's this is outgoing dynamic. For God's people, they go out in joy and peace. Don't we need that? Can we do with a bit of that? Joy and peace. Isn't that what our world needs? Joy and peace. And as we go out in joy and peace, the hills are alive with the sound of music. You see that? The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thornbush, bush, will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. Finally, the ancient curse of Genesis 3 is being rolled back. It's like that bit in the Chronicles of Narnia when, when spring is coming to Narnia after 100 years of winter. It's being rolled back. This is new creation language, isn't it? And it's, and it's beautiful. It's kind of mountains and, and trees. It's music. It's joy. It's rest. It's flourishing. That's what we're looking forward to. But it's also what we can start to experience now as we sing as God's people. Wouldn't it be great to sing together as God's people? We we, we join with this as as we rejoice together in the forgiveness of sins, as we rest in peace with God and we we start to see peace among us and we cultivate that as our hearts start to get a bit less thornbushy and a bit more junipery. So it's like a now and not yet thing. It's like the feast as well. The feast is a now and not yet thing. There's yes, there's this amazing wedding banquet to come. We only get a small foretaste of that now. But we do start to feast with God at his table now. And look at this the the final line here. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. When it says this will be for the Lord's renown, what, what is the this? Well, the this is our joy and peace and flourishing. Isn't that amazing? That is the Lord's renown. So in the ancient world, and it still happens in parts of the world today, if you're a great king, you'll set up some kind of monument to yourself. What is the monument that the Lord God sets up? It is our joy and peace and flourishing. Isn't that beautiful? He's not some kind of king who like bigs himself up by suppressing other people. His glory is our joy and Peace and flourishing forever, our rejoicing in him, forever our joy will be everlasting. The love is everlasting, the Father and the Son, the joy will be everlasting. Now if you're anything like me, that is not, this stuff is not how we normally, how I normally think about God, if I'm honest, in the back of my mind. And and like I said before, just naturally, that kind of old man in the sky idea, or that kind of so whatever idea we have of God, it will just send us running away from God or it will just mean that we just serve in this kind of joyless kind of way, just slaving away. So let's, let's get that kind of false idea of God as this kind of hard man or this boring man, just get that out of our heads. Let's fill our minds with this, this God, Father, Son, Spirit, overflowing in life and joy and goodness the, the one who comes to call us to the feast and includes us in this love between the Father and the Son, the, the one who forgives all our sins, the one who is for our joy and peace and flourishing. Let's, uh, let's pray that we would do that. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your, for your feast. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for reigning on us a saviour from heaven. Thank you for your spirit who leads us out in joy and peace, forgive us, for, forgive me for thinking of you wrongly. Please draw us to you. Please turn us back to you. Please give us such a joy and a peace together that, that others would look in and, and wonder why, why we have this joy and peace so we would have opportunities to talk about you, about this God that people have never heard of and of the goodness and freeness of your feast. Uh, we pray this for your renown. Amen.